Hey guys, TK here. Just a big, big shout out to my brand new sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Bulk Nutrients I've been using for my supplement needs for about six years' times in terms of quality, price, customer service. They're an Australian company. They are second to none. The products I'm using at the moment is the green superfood powder, which you can pick up for only $25 for 250 grams. The protein matrix, which is only $29 for one kilo. And they've got some fabulous flavors in terms of chocolate, vanilla, salted caramel, this chalk honeycomb, which tastes like a gay time ice cream if you're in Australia. Also, this awesome, awesome rocky road that I've been having lately. Apart from that, also get the creatine monohydrate, which is as low as $9 for 250 grams or $19 for one kilogram. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. That's www.bulknutrients.com.au slash TK. Guys, welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell, episode 80 of the podcast, and we're going to be going international flavor today. And we've got one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time in the shadow, Dorian Yates. If you don't know Dorian, well, you must have been hiding under a rock, but he's a six times Mr. Olympia, and he's also done that consecutively. So he is regarded as pretty much the greatest bodybuilder of all time. And that's going against guys like Arnold, Lee Haney, you know, even more modern day guys like Jay Cutler. So there's an absolutely amazing amount of, you know, athletes that have come through and also done some consecutive stuff in Mr. Olympia, but I don't think anyone's done it better. And especially when you consider the fields that he was going against, Dorian Yates has to be considered as one of the greatest of all times. A big happy birthday to Dorian as well. He had a birthday last week, which did coincide with the release of his autobiography. So I just want to tell you a little bit about that. You can check it all out at www dot from the shadow.com it's a limited edition there's only 999 copies you can get a copy for 99 pounds so for in australia i think that's about 150 dollars it is actually signed and numbered by dorian himself so that's pretty good value for 150 bucks get the full autobiography as well as a signed and numbered copy so definitely check that out www.fromtheshadow.com so we go pretty deep in today's episode. Dorian's going to be telling us a little bit about his origins, his family, how he got in trouble as a youth, and then how he found bodybuilding. We're going to be chatting a little bit about transitions away from competitive bodybuilding, his current wellness practices, both for his mind and body. He'll be talking about his experience on the London Reel with Brian Rose. It's an amazing show. He's someone I've had on my other podcast, but Brian brings it every single time, and it was an absolutely amazing interview. And it really did help Dorian continue to find growth in life and continue to move forward. We're talking a little bit about him using his profile now to raise awarenesses for different causes. And also, you know, he's got a, a bit of a, a mindset towards, you know, contributing towards a better world. So we're getting different, like I said, it's going to go pretty deep. And we're we'll talking a little bit about how he finds knowledge now, how he absorbs it and how he questions it just for his own continued growth. Also be talking about a lot about his bodybuilding career, how he developed self-belief and mindset, how he really just developed that winning self-belief 
and really what his his competitive advantage was back in Birmingham compared to everyone else who was training out of America. So it's going to be an action-packed interview. If you if you love Dorian, remember to follow him online. You can find him on Instagram, and his Instagram is at the Dorian Yates. You also find him on Facebook and Twitter. So reach out if you enjoy this episode and let him know what you think of it. If you can, please share it with your family and friends. Best way for more ears to actually hear the episode. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Talking With TK. You can do it via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you might be on our website currently, www.talkingwithtk.com. A whole host of athletes across different sports. So please go back and check out the back catalogue. If you want to connect with me, best way, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Talking With TK. My Instagram is Tristan Nell. Or you can also find me on my email. Just shoot me a quick quick email, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Any guest requests or suggestions for the show? At the moment, obviously, we're up to episode 80. It's predominantly been Aussie and New Zealand athletes, but I really want to bring some international flavor into there. Next week, we've got one of the American lacrosse players, Paul Rabel, coming on the show. So a little bit different. We're mixing it up. Hopefully, get a few international athletes on the program as well to coincide with all these amazing athletes from both Australia and New Zealand. Just a big shout out to today's sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. It's my go-to for supplements and they just do amazing jobs in terms of price, quality. What I really love is just the ease of getting it. It literally, you order and two days time, it literally just arrives at your door or I get mine sent to my office and yeah, it's really easy. What I'm using at the moment, there's three things I really highly recommend. That's the green fusion. So that's a green superfood powder. It's pretty cheap too. 250 grams only costs 25 bucks. You can get in in bulk as well. One kilogram only costs $79. The protein matrix has made a huge difference too. Like sometimes I was getting a little bit bloated and and wasn't finding it easy to digest my weight protein. So it's a special formula and it's pretty cheap as well. It's only $29 for one kilogram. Highly recommend either the chocolate or the choc honeycomb. It's unbelievable. And then you've got some creatine, which I also like to use in my shakes. And that's pretty affordable too. You've got $9 for 250 grams, $19 for a full kilogram. So guys, check out the range, www.bulknutrients.com.au slash TK. That's www.bulknutrients.com.au slash TK. My morning shake, I usually have a banana, some almond milk. I put my protein matrix, my green fusion, and my creatine, a couple of ice cubes, some chia seeds as well. Let me tell you, that really hits the spot, gets me going, and that's my pre-workout shake. It tastes absolutely delicious and really ticks a lot of boxes. So give that little recipe a try. All right, guys, I know you're really keen to get into this episode, so I introduce the shadow, Dorian Yates. Alright guys, my special guest is Dorian Yates. Dorian is one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, being a six-time consecutive Mr. Olympia. Away from the sport, he is the director of Dorian Yates Nutrition, and he's also the president of a new competition, Super League. I welcome the man, Dorian Yates. How are you doing? Uh, Yeah, actually I'm with uh, Dorian Yates Nutrition. I'm not uh, working with... uh Super League at this point, I helped them launch, but I'm, I'm not with them at the moment. But uh, anyway, 
wishing the best of luck. It's a very interesting uh, concept, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dorian, you know what, what I really love about you is that, you know, for all of us that love the gym, you know, we grew up idolizing you. You're on the cover of every single magazine. But what I really appreciate is your openness to talk about, you know, feelings and spirituality. You know, the stuff that you did with Brian Rose was absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I think people are appreciating that there was more to Dorian Yates than just the bodybuilder. How has all that kind of made you feel about yourself post or everything you've achieved? Well, um, <clears throat> I've spoken about it before, but, you know, transitioning from being a competitive bodybuilder, best in your sport, and then getting injured and, like, all that's kind of gone and you've got to find your way in the world, that was very uh, difficult. And I think that's quite common from what I understand from high-level athletes that, retire or they're forced to retire and you know you've been doing this single mission it's like a life mission this single uh, goal that you focus on with complete tunnel vision usually to the detriment of like pretty much everything else that might be going on in your life because you're just putting everything into this yeah um <clears throat> and you've got this goal that's so important to you and uh, it's like a life mission and then this is uh, this is taken away, or it's, you decide it's time for it not to be there. Whatever the reasons are, for me it was uh, was not really my decision because I had an injury, which kind of forced me. Uh, and I'm a bit of a I like to be in control. You know, I was always in control of my career when I was competing, and I was control of my body, like how much calories I'm taking, what training I'm doing, and I was able to control it. And this I wasn't able to control, and uh, you kind of left with asking yourself who you are, you know, outside of this this character you've created, perhaps almost, you know, like you're playing a role, you're a champion, you're Mr. Olympia, you've got to uphold certain standards and this and that. So how much of this is really you and how much is it a role you're playing and what role do you have now in life that you don't have this this role that you've been playing? So it took me a long time to kind of, get balance out of that and um, the, the the good thing was that um, you know being kind of forced out of it um, and, and thinking about it I realized there was so much more to life than this once that I was doing and now you know what I don't have to go to bed at 11 o'clock yeah. every day I don't have to eat six or seven meals a day I don't have to be in the gym every day at this time. So now I got freedom and flexibility and the opportunity to explore so many more things in life and that's what I started doing and uh, uh, I think the, the experiences I had with psychedelics further opened my already questioning open mind, which I mean I already had that anyway, like right from when I was a kid I was questioning authority, questioning the system, I came into bodybuilding, I questioned the, the current uh, at the time, uh, approach to dieting and uh, training and uh, and everything, and uh, I was probably the least typical bodybuilder <clears throat> that you could find because I actually didn't like attention. Mm. You know, uh, most bodybuilders that that's what they do for they want you know they want to stand out they want to get attention. I didn't really like that. I just I only wanted to uh, kind of show my body off at the, the competitions because they were benchmarks for me in my 
mission and my progress and trying to be the best that I could be and then trying to be the best in the world and then trying to be, you know, set standards that hadn't been set before. So um, all that was going on. So I think I've always been unconventional and um, uh, I think the, the, the first show I did was London Real where we really had an interesting conversation mm. um, because they said we wanted to come on the show and we don't want you to just talk about bodybuilding, we want to talk about anything and everything and just be real. I mean, that's the name of the show, London Real, that I did at the time. It was a very small show. Now it's huge and they have really great, interesting guests on there, very inspiring. Um, but at the time, it was, just, it was just starting out. And I really welcome that because I don't have, you know, 1,001 interviews. But, you know, it's like 1,001 times I answer pretty much the same questions. Yeah. So it's not that exciting for me. And there's more to life to bodybuilding. I've got more uh, knowledge, more opinions, more thoughts about many things, and uh, the London Reel that came out and the psychedelics we, st we talked about, I mean, obviously that had a big effect on further opening my already open and an always very questioning mind. Um, that just, like, blows the doors off it. So, um, And I shared all that with people, and I shared things for myself, and the feedback that I've got has been massive and that it's been helpful to people and inspiring and that I'm just verbalizing some things that people are already probably thinking or it's somewhere in their thoughts, but maybe they don't know, they don't feel comfortable to talk about it. Maybe, you know, maybe this, maybe that, maybe. Um, but they heard me and I got so many people saying, look, I heard you uh, about the struggles you had in, you know, with your identity and changing your role in life and this and that. Yeah. And I really relate to that. And since I listened to you, I left this job that I wasn't happy with. I did this. I did that. I got so many people uh, saying that just these shows literally changed their approach to life. So that's super powerful. And I almost now in my position in life, I see that I became this uh, six times Mr. Olympia and this figure and this success, if you like to call it that, um, for, for a greater reason. Other than just for myself, now I have a platform because I did that. I have a platform that people listen to me yeah. and I have an opportunity to be a very positive influence on people and on the world and on the development of spirituality that we, a lot of people are starting to feel now and question and wanting answers and so on and so on. So um, I almost feel like that and I almost feel like perhaps it, it was always planned like this and it's a mission that I have uh, another mission now is to you know raise the raise awareness raise the vibration it's trying to make the world a better place because it's, the world that we live in is all it's just a result of our collective thoughts really um, who got so you if, thinking in that way Dorian um, Reading and uh, personal experience has always been a combination with me. The same thing when I did bodybuilding. It was uh, reading, which I, I think is really important. People don't read so much now. They don't read some books. And, you know, I don't care if you read it on the Internet or whatever, but absorbing knowledge and, and then questioning that knowledge and then trying it out, seeing if it works. So it's pretty much the same process. I'm interested in this. And, you know, with the psychedelics, I saw... Uh, beyond the veil, if you like to call it, you know, the the space that we live in and what we perceive to be reality and perceive to be the world is, I think, is just so very 
minute to what is actually there in this space. And when you take psychedelics, people say you hallucinate. I don't think you hallucinate. Mm. I think you just um, are able to see more uh, depth uh, to reality and you see shapes and numbers and things like that, which um, quantum physicists are now breaking down to be the code of reality. I mean, that's... That's not me saying that. This is like the highest level quantum physicists. They're saying when they break reality down to what it is, it, it's a code. It's a computer code that generates the reality. So it's numbers and shapes. And that's what I experienced. So it's a combination of my experiences and um, reading and speaking to other people and just developing some kind of understanding. Yeah. You know, you speak about psychedelics. If you had the knowledge that you have now and know exactly how to use them and you brought that back then to when you were actually competing in bodybuilding do you think you could yeah. have been as effective in what you did i don't know mate i might have just decided what the hell is this <laughs> you know what the hell is this man trying to have the biggest most muscular body in the world yeah you know is this what you want to do i don't know how it would have uh, affected me at that time um but it didn't come into my life at that time and maybe there was a reason for that maybe you know everything happens in the order it's it's supposed to happen and you attract things people situations etc into your life depending on your vibe that you're giving off mm. or your thoughts that you're giving off you you know it's like a magnet you attract things to you if you have a negative thoughts all the time guess what Negative things happen to you all the time, and negative situations, and uh, even you can affect your health in a negative or positive way, depending on your thoughts about yourself. You know, uh, I think that I'm a fucking superhuman, and I, I don't know, I don't get sick. And if I feel a little bit of cold coming on, I'm like, I'm stronger than this. I'm going to kill this, and like, pretty much works for me, man. You know, uh, so it's a lot to do with your thoughts about yourself and about the world and that kind of bounces back to you in a in a reflection yeah so if you're expecting bad things to happen all the time you're pretty much guaranteed that that will happen and vice versa um looking back on my <clears throat> becoming mr olympia which was you know i say myself it was a huge achievement coming from the where i came from especially mm. because i was in england uh million miles away at that point no internet, so the world was a, it seemed like a bigger place then. And all I had was magazines that I could get once a month from the news agent with all these pictures and information about these guys in, in, in the States and California and bodybuilding and this lifestyle. Mm. And, and so it was just so far away. Um, but I focused on it and I dreamt it and that's all I thought about. And, and uh, you know, of course, you don't sit on your ass, you know. Yeah, think about it, sit on your ass, think about it as much as you want, but you're not really believing that it's going to happen because you're not making the actual physical steps in order for it to happen as well. So yeah. there's a mental process followed by by action. Um, so, you know, I think it was my absolute obsessive almost focus on this and thinking about this and making it happen all the time because it was 24-7, I, I almost... You know, I'd go to bed thinking about what workout I'm going to do tomorrow in the gym. And then I would go to sleep. And then I would fucking dream that I was on the incline press. And I'd see which color shirt I had on and, and the weights and this and that. And, boom, I'd wake up in the morning and then 
that's what I would be doing that day, you know. So it was yeah. almost uh, constant, uh, which which is something you can't do forever because, you, you know, there's other things that you need to focus on at some point in life. But that's what I was doing, and, uh, you know, uh, I went to America. I, I went to California, and with, Joe Weider flew me out there, and uh, the second time I competed in the Mr. Olympia, I won it, and, uh, you know, I was the best in the world with, Many things against me, you know. I didn't have any money to start with. I didn't have any family to help me. I was living in Birmingham, England, which is not a hotbed of bodybuilding activity, or mm. there's not many people there that really, really understand what you're doing or what you're trying to do, uh, and so on and so on. So um, that was all achieved by, at some point, just by my thoughts and my belief, and then, of course, total hard work and dedication combined with that but the two together that's very powerful guys just a quick break in today's episode please reach out to dorian if you're enjoying the episode his instagram at the dorian yates remember to pick up a copy of his autobiography only 999 copies available they're 99 pounds or about 150 bucks in australian dollars and you can catch that at www.fromtheshadow.com also a big shout out to my major sponsor bulk nutrients Pick up their Green Fusion, which is an awesome green superfood powder. It's absolutely bumper value for your money. One kilogram will only set you back $79. We can try it for 250 grams for 25 bucks. You can either get the raw or the flavored versions, and it's something I do highly recommend, especially if you're not eating enough veggies. So definitely get them in there. So it's www.bulknutrients.com.au slash TK. All right, guys, if you're enjoying the episode, please subscribe. You can do it all for free via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online, www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Yeah, Dorian, back then, did you struggle or to make friends or you just didn't want to make friends? How was your, search, like your social inner circle? Well, I uh, you know, I had friends, but... We were uh, kind of going on a different, different pathway, you know, like like most young people, most of my friends were, you know, they're going out on the weekends or even more like, you know, drinking, partying, stuff like that. Mm. That was not going to help me achieve my goal that was very important to me. And I, I never felt like I fitted in, if that makes sense. I never felt like I fitted in. I never felt like I wanted, you know, the... The very limited kind of future that people imagine that they would have, they would get a job and they would live in the same town and they would get married and they would have some kids and, uh, you know, maybe they'd, you know, manage to get their own little business going or something. That might, you know, that was as far as people around me were, were really thinking. Um, so when I started training and I'm like, right, I'm doing this and I want to do it and I want to compete and I want to make something out of this, um, I pretty much let all my social life go, my friends that I had I didn't see that much, and I created a new circle of people and friends, which was really revolved around the gym, uh, as they were, you know, on a similar kind of mission to me, and I'm going to the gym every day, so that, that's the environment that you're in, and those are the people that you're around, so I kind of created a new circle of, of friends at the gym, um, but... That, that was my life, you know, training, eating, sleeping, thinking, making notes. Um, so I became very kind of unsocial. And um, then when I retired, of course, then, you know, you've got to kind of, re, kind of recreate 
you know, some friendships and and uh, a social life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Dorian, so take, that- me, take me back to the start a little bit where you grew up, because I've heard you yeah. talking about having a bit of a rough upbringing. Your parents didn't really support your bodybuilding goals and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about your hometown and just a little bit about your family? Yeah. Well, um, I guess things were um, were fairly good for me as a kid. Um, my mum my and dad, um, I was born in Birmingham. Um, my dad was um, an engineer at uh, a rover at the car plant mm. in Birmingham. Uh, my mom was educated, privately educated and so on, um, <clears throat> and she was a horse riding instructor. So they moved from Birmingham, they bought like a little small holding, as we call it in England, I guess it's a little farm, you know, with a few fields, and uh, they had a chicken farm there, yeah. and they had this idea that they were going to, you know, run this little farm and make money, and maybe my dad was going to, um, you know, retire from the car plant or something, I don't know, I was young. But anyway, um, from four years old, I lived on this like little farm. I had my own pony at one time, which ironically, which very strangely was called Shadow. And then later when I became Mr. Olympia, that was my, <laughs> that was my nickname because I was like the shadow because I was a bit mysterious and enigmatic and not easy to, to communicate with and all this kind of stuff. So uh, me and my sister, we had our own ponies and my mom used to do horse riding lessons uh, we had chickens, ducks, dogs, and, you know, I used to walk everywhere or ride a bike everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I guess I was really fit as a kid, and that was a great environment. So everything was kind of cool uh, until I was 13 years old, and my father had a heart attack at the age of 42 mm. uh, at work, and he died. And then it seemed like, uh, you know, everything kind of got turned upside down, and uh, my mom found a new partner. And um, I wasn't too happy about that. Uh, we moved to Birmingham, which is second city in, in UK, so a big kind of industrial-based city at, the, at that point. We moved there with my mom's new partner. Mm. And uh, terribly for my mom, within about a year, he also died of a heart attack. So um, there we were in Birmingham. I'm going to school. And, you know, my mom has been through all this and... She's fighting her own demons, and I'm fighting mine. And at 16 years old, my mom decided she wanted, she didn't have any interest in staying in Birmingham because she moved there for, you know, for her new partner, and he wasn't there anymore. So she wanted to go back and live outside the city and, you know, kind of do the things that she wanted to do, horse, horse riding and all this stuff. But by then, I, you know, I'd made roots in the city and connections and, you know, everything. Compared to the countryside, the city's got everything, and I became like a city boy. So mm. I said, I'm not, I'm not coming. So at home, uh, 16, I left home. So it was like sleeping at friends' houses, sleeping on couches, and uh, so on. Eventually get like a one-room apartment, and uh, at 18, <clears throat> I got in a little trouble. It wasn't really anything serious, just kids being kids and, you know, drinking too much and doing stupid things. Anyway... Um, I got sent to a detention center for three months, which is like a youth jail facility, I guess. They want to, you know, it's like a military regime where the idea is that you're going to learn to be disciplined and learn to respect authority and all that stuff. And uh, uh, and so you got to 
it's a military regime and uh, you have to do circuit training in there. And we also had weights to do kind of powerlifting once or twice a week, just bench, squat and deadlift and stuff. Um, but I had done a bit of weights before when I did karate and, uh, you know, I was familiar with bodybuilding. I remember buying a magazine with Robbie Robinson on there and all this stuff. So I started doing weights in there and doing the fitness training and I was like, you know, I was kind of better than everybody else and I had a better basic physique, very lean, not big, you know, I was about 100 and, I don't know, 185 pounds or something, but I was lean. I had abs and I had a good shape, good, you know, proportions and I was stronger than everybody else. I was fit than everyone else. And that got me respect in there, and uh, not just from the other guys in there. Um, it was under 21, so there was about three or 400 guys in there, I guess, between the age of 17 and 21. And I stood out in that, in the physique and, and the strength and everything. And not only the guys respected me, also the, the prison officers, they treated me differently. I uh, got extra privileges in record time and so on. And uh, one of the, the guy that did the you know, the weights and the PT in there, it's like, you should, you know, when you get out, you live in Birmingham, I'm going to give you this gym to go to, this friend of mine is a powerlifting coach there, and I think could be a great powerlifter, because okay. that's what they did in there, powerlifting, right, mm. but I was already thinking, I want to be a powerlifter, man, I want to be a bodybuilder, like, you know, like Robbie Robinson and Mike Mincer, these guys that I saw in the magazine, um, so when I was released from there, it took me, I was very strategic, it took me a time to, to get uh, an apartment, to get a job, to get, you know, to get some stability. And then when I had done that, I said, right, this is it. I, I, and all this time that I was uh, getting myself stable, I was buying magazines, I was buying books, I was buying books on nutrition, I was studying. So I was getting all this knowledge without actually putting it into action. So when I decided, right, I'm going to start training now, um, I didn't make a lot of mistakes and, and lose a lot of time, I think, that most people do because I already studied it. And from day one, and I've still got these books today, I wrote down every workout that I did and, and diets and changes in diets and supplements and everything. So I got that way back from 1983 when I started lifting weights. From 1983 to 1997, I've got every single workout that I ever did is logged down in books. All my diets are there, any changes, any feedback, any changes in routine and frequency of training and all that stuff. Um, I did that. So I was very meticulous from day one, and it wasn't, I'm just going to do this because I want to show off to the girls and get bigger arms or something. I already had a, like, pretty good, decent physique that most people think, well, that's not, you know, it's not a bodybuild, but it's a good physique for most people. So I didn't start from that point. I started from this is going to do something positive and change my life, and, you know, who knows, maybe one, one day I can open a gym or something, and I don't know what it is, but something's coming from this positive. So, um that was how I started, really. Yeah, so did you feel that you had a point to prove, or was it more a survival? Uh, it was a survival. It was um, a way to change my life. But, yeah, I had something to prove, prove to everybody. You know, that um, my parents, well, my dad died, so, you know, I didn't have much choice about that. Mm. My mom, my dad, I didn't have that support. And probably didn't have that love and, and, and so on. So, yeah, I guess I wanted to prove. And I, I had that some anger, I suppose. But instead of, you, you know, instead of the anger being, you know, young guys can get into trouble or violence and, and so on. Um, I did get in a bit of trouble, obviously, when I was earlier. But at this point, all that was being channeled. It was being utilized and channeled into these workouts. So it was like a controlled 
aggression and I wanted to show everybody and I wanted to show the world and I wanted to do I wanted to live my life and do things on my own terms without following the system without you know doing what I was supposed to do and what society and what the schools told me you know when you go to school I think that it's just there to like make you uh you know, uh, just just a functioning part of society. Like the, at school, that you know, you what, what are you? You you're this guy. You're working class. Uh, okay, then you know we can prepare you for being working in a factory or doing this or doing that. That's your that's your role in life. That's your lot in life. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always never accepting that. And um, I always kind of knew. I always knew that something was wrong. You know, like most people do when they're young they question the system but I was right to question it and I'm still questioning it and now I don't think that it's corrupt and wrong I know it is yeah so Dorian like from entering the gym to your first competition that was a pretty quick period right was it 18 months was it 18 months yeah so I went from entering the gym um actually I did one competition after about six months but it was just the inter-gym competition so I was persuaded to enter this um, <clears throat> competition, which was um, ha- being held between gyms in Birmingham, basically. Um, but I knew that any kind of competition, even if it's like a beginner's or a novice competition, I knew that I'd probably be competing against guys that were using steroids, even at low level. Mm. But I wasn't, and I was still a beginner. So, But I was persuaded to go in it, and um, I won that competition. Six months training. No steroids, no no diet, anything. No, didn't have a proper color or anything. I was like white as a sheet. But I, you know, I was better and I and I won the contest, so that was good. And then after 18 months, I went to compete in the IFBB, which is you know that's where it's at. That's where the Mr. Olympia's at, at the lowest level in England, which is called an intermediate or or it's like a novice competition. It's for somebody that hasn't won a contest before. So I went to compete in this, and I thought I'd like to win that show. And I'd like to go then to the British Championship on that level, you know, intermediate, novice level. And I'd like to be novice British champion. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, I think about, you know, a couple of years later, maybe I can go for British champion or something. Who knows? But, you know, let me do this first. And I went to that first contest and uh, the reaction I got from all the officials and the judges there. And one guy called Ron Davis, who was the head of the federation, and he was a judge at Mr. Olympia. So here's a guy that you know knows everybody in the industry, knows all the physiques, knows the standards. And uh, he really helped me because he was like, you know, uh, why? what are you doing in this novice cast? You're so, you know, and where the hell are you from and why have we never heard of you and then all these questions. I said, look, I've just been training for a short period of time and this is my first contest and, uh, you know, yeah, but you should be in the heavyweight class. Yeah, but I don't think I'm good enough for that. And then they just start laughing like, this kid, you know, <laughs> you're not good enough. But you, you're probably like the best single heavyweight we have in the country right now. Wow. You. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're like better than some of the guys that are professional that I know. And you're natural so, at the time. Uh, I just, um, I did two months steroids just to get ready for this competition because I knew it was stepping up a level. Um, How old were you? <clears throat> 23. Yeah. And were you scared the first time you ever did it? I wasn't scared because um, I knew I, I prepared properly. I knew I looked great, for at least for that category. Um, I think the, the the biggest thing was me was that I was very shy, you know. Mm. 
uh, I didn't like to really talk to people a lot. Um, so standing there in my underwear and doing some poses, for me, was less scary than asking me to speak on a microphone or something. That was more terrifying. And, and how am I going to be standing on stage in front of all these people? But it, it felt like natural, like it's almost like it's a strange feeling through this whole process, like as if I'd already done it before. It's either like I'd done it before or I knew that I had to do it and it felt somehow familiar. Yeah. If that makes sense. And, you know, my understanding of time now is that time is not really time. It's not linear like we think it is. So um, that makes more sense to me now that I was feeling like that. Guys, just another quick break in today's episode. If you're enjoying it, please share it with your family and friends. If you're first time here, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Any guest requests or suggestions for the show, please send them through. Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Guys, a big shout out to Bulk Nutrients, my sponsor, www.bulknutrients.com.au. Check out the Protein Matrix. It's an absolutely awesome powder. It reduces bloating and it's very easy to digest. In terms of value for money, I don't think there's a better whey protein on there. You can get $29 for one kilogram, $56 for two kilograms. So an absolute steal. You can get flavors such as chocolate, vanilla, salted caramel, chalk, honeycomb, or rocky road. It is delicious. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. All right, guys, I mentioned Dorian's autobiography a couple of times. If you want to check it out, check it out at www.fromtheshadow.com. There's only 999 copies. They're 99 pounds for a copy. It is actually personally signed and numbered by Dorian himself. So please check it out, www.fromtheshadow.com. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So then, you know, you enter this competition and you, you talk about not having that confidence. How long did it take you to build that confidence and know that you could match the big guns? Um, <clears throat> it was a process. You know, I did this competition and then uh, Ron Davis and the guys from the Federation, they said, listen, we want you to compete as a heavyweight on the British team, which coincidentally is next weekend uh, for the World Games. World Games is like the Olympic Games, but for sports that are not accepted yet in the Olympic Games. So there was a ton of different sports there, but bodybuilding was one of them. So this was um, a world championship. And if you win a world championship, then you can be pro. So we're talking about the, the absolute best amateurs in the world that are turning pro. So, you know, these guys have been training, I don't know, probably minimum of, minimum of five or six years, maybe 10 years and maybe longer. Um, so they're like, we want you to, I'm, and again, I was like reluctant because I'm not good enough for that. And they're like, you are, and come along to the trials. So I went to the trials and they picked me and I competed as a heavyweight in the British team in a world championship the next weekend. So I don't think that's ever happened where somebody goes in their first contest on a novice level, which is the lowest level you can get. And then the next weekend they're in an international world championship, highest level amateur competition in the world. Um, and out of 13 people, I got seventh place. Um, so I didn't like that, man. I didn't like not being prepared. I didn't like not going there to win. Um, although it, in a way it was a good experience because it exposed me to that level of competition and that 
I was competitive. I, I, I finished in the middle of the pack. Um, I'd only been training for a year and a half. So, you know, what can I do in the next few years? And Ron Davis um, <clears throat> sat me down and he's like, you got more potential than this guy, this guy. He went through the guys at the Mr. Olympia said, trust me, you can be very competitive in the Mr. Olympia. We weren't talking about winning it, at least I wasn't at that point. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, that was a big uh, confidence boost for me for people of that level in the sport and that, you know, with the knowledge of the sport and everything that's in it that they felt, or Ron Davis felt, that I could definitely do <clears throat> some damage and I was good enough and it was just a matter of time. Yeah. yeah so there, I won a couple, two British championships a couple of years, you know, over the next couple of years and uh, turned pro to, to go compete in, in America, um, which is, you know, at that point was every bodybuilder's dream and one that not many people achieve. Yeah, you know, you, you went over to America and was Lee Haney one of your, like, real big idols when you were coming through as well? Well, Lee Haney was Mr. Olympia in 1984. I started lifting in 1983. So, um, of course, he was Mr. Olympia and I was a big admirer of his. Um, but the guys that were more like uh, my idols, I guess, were the more um, intense and rugged kind of bodybuilders and trainers. So Tom Platts was one guy that I really admired for his training passion and his intensity and, you know, the, the fact that his physique was kind of freaky. Uh, he came to England, did seminars, I heard him speak, and a very inspiring, very positive guy. Uh, Mike Mensah, because of his training principles and knowledge, which came from Arthur Jones in the first place, but Mike Mensah was the bodybuilder. And you know that strong, rugged, kind of mas very masculine look. Uh, another guy was Casey Viator that also trained with Arthur Jones. They had this powerful look, a mesomorphic look with the thickness and the, the, the huge forearms and calves and stuff. And I felt that my... Zeke was probably more in that mold, so perhaps that's why I kind of related more to those guys. But, of course, huge respect for Lee Haney, who's the best in the world, and Mr. Olympia through my whole, you know, through this whole period of me training, becoming British champion and turning pro and all this. The, the ultimate goal was to go to Mr. Olympia, and that was the guy that was holding the title all those years. Yeah. Dorian, what did you prefer? Did you prefer training or did you actually prefer getting on stage oh man training training if i could have won prizes just for training yeah i'm sure I still would have been first place every time and that was just fun man i mean you know the, the getting ready for a contest and getting into contest shape that's a whole you know that's tough man that's a whole mental and physical challenge you've got to train more and train harder and less calories and less food and you know you've got to fight this whole instinct to eat because you're hungry all the time and, and you've got to deny yourself and all that so that's very difficult and being on stage is great but it's it's you know what is it once a year twice a year maybe in bodybuilding you don't compete that often because of the preparation um but if it was just you know eating a lot of good food and going to gym and training man like like that that would be the best but uh, unfortunately you don't get any prizes for that yeah. you know to get for the, for the for the finished uh, object. But training, I loved it and I still love it. I got some injuries now, which means I don't really do um, bodybuilding or weight training as such, but I do a lot of stuff. I do yoga, I do cycling, uh, I do some functional training, core training. So I like physical activity, even if it's just walking up the mountain or walking or cycling or whatever. I, I love to be 
active. I've been like that since I was a kid, and I'll always be like that. So I love, uh, you know, and I've done, I've tried other stuff. I've done some MMA with some friends of mine and, uh, you know, different things, which I'm not very good at, but I just enjoy the challenge. Uh, cardio stuff, I enjoy the challenge. I go with young guys. We go cycling, and, you know, it's my mission to to beat their ass every time. Yeah. Um, so that, that's <laughs> I'm just keeping in shape and enjoying it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a bodybuilder anymore. I don't have those goals, and I have some injuries which restrict me from lifting heavy weights. Um, but I'm fine with that at my stage in life. That's cool. Yeah, just back to the competition stuff, Dorian. You know, you know, you spoke before about being very private, and being in yeah. England, you wouldn't be exposed to anyone knowing what you look like or anything like that. that you- that's, that's kind of partially one of the reasons I stayed there, and, and it was a big psychological advantage for me because nobody could kind of figure me out. Yeah. They couldn't find any in my physique or my um, mentality because they didn't know me. They didn't know enough about me where they knew each other. They all saw each other in the gym every day. So they had some kind of handle, you know, like on each other. But with me, they knew nothing. And I like, I, I kind of like to keep it that way. Yeah. What about on competition day when you unveiled yourself in the dressing room for the first time? Did you just see eyes all over you? Oh, absolutely, I don't see them, I can feel them, and uh, it, it was something I used to do, um, that I would keep my tracksuit on, like, as long as possible, you know, so I would be warming up and pumping up, and I know everybody's waiting, no everyone wants to see, yeah, and while you're, while you're in that mode, you're not, you know, yeah. you're not thinking yeah. about yourself. And you're, and you're not being positive because you're being nervous and you're waiting and you're focused on this. So, good guys, you can focus on this. And you, you can already be thinking, like, how second place is, like, really, like, first place now, you know? Um, so as a, I've always been instinctively good with psychology with myself and with other people, I think. So uh, that was the thing I always kept, like, until the last minute or – I would take a changing room, like, and just shut the door and don't let anyone in. So it was like a little, you know, up to the last minute, people were, you know, they were thinking about me in one way or another. So uh, little psychological tricks that I did, and, you know, I wasn't up. Uh, I had a few friendships where we were friendly with, you know, friendly with each other, but on the day of the competition, it was like, I'm not really talking to anybody. I'm there. I'm all business. Yeah, I was going uh, to ask you about that. If any of the guys st- spoke to each other, were people putting shit on each other, trying to take each other away from concentration? What was the back room like, Dorian? Um, I don't know because nobody ever tried to do any of that stuff with me because I was already like, that's just child's play to me. That would, you know, I was, <laughs> I was like the master of that. So no, nobody would try any games like that. Um, some of the other guys, I mean, they train together and a lot of guys train together in golf's gym and stuff. So they have, deeper connections and that they maybe were like talking to each other and this and that. And outside of the competition, I was quite friendly with, with Flex Wheeler and, you know, Kevin, I could have a laugh and a joke with, and we trained together in Europe when he visited and Flex Wheeler had been to my house and, you know, stuff like that. So I was friendly with, with, uh, with Kevin and, and Flex, but on the day of the competition, it would just be like, you know, I'm just in my zone, man. Like, I'm not interested in talking to anybody. I'm just there to win. And being friendly is just not today, you know, not yeah. today. So what do you think was tougher for you, to win your first title or retain your titles? 
It's a very good question. And um, it requires a changing mentality because I always, um, I always used the underdog to give me that energy, to give me that anger, to give me that drive. Like, you know, I'm this guy from Birmingham in England. It's raining. And, you know, uh, there's no good restaurants here. There's no this and that. And you guys in America, you're fucking spoiled. You've got the gyms. You've got the restaurants. You've got the sun. Mm. You know, I'm angry about this. I'm going to make you pay. I'm the underdog. And I'm, and I'm hungry and I'm coming. Well, then you're, then you're the top dog, right? So how can you be the underdog now if you're the top dog? So it requires a different mentality. And now everybody's chasing you. Before I could, ch I had somebody to chase, right? I had Lee Haney, who was the best in the world for seven years before I competed against him. So there's a definite target there, uh, and the other guys were targets, and and you know they lived their nice in the sun and going to the gym, and here's me in this shithole, hole in the wall basement gym, and it's raining outside, and you know all that stuff. So I kept that. That's you know one of the reasons why I stayed living in Birmingham, stayed training at my gym. Because, like the Rocky movies that we used to watch back then, me and the guys from the gym used to go watch Rocky movies, yeah. all the Arnold movies. You know, um, Rocky got comfortable. He got the big house. He got the money. Yeah, so now he lost his drive because he had that he had that drive because his life was shitty and he wanted to improve it. But now he's got everything he wants. Now he's comfortable. So you start losing the eye of the tiger, you know, because you get comfortable and now you start going to some parties and. You know, all this stuff, and life's easier, and maybe you don't give 100% anymore. So I kept myself in Birmingham to keep my feet firmly on the floor hmm. and to avoid the distractions that I would be maybe exposed to if I was in the States. You know, uh, go here, go there. The Weeder company was in California. I was under contract to Weeder. Um, so, I, like, I'm over in England, so <laughs> I kind of exactly called me up and asked me to go here and there. Uh, and so, but if I'm California, there's going to be so many pulls left, right, center on my time and my attention, will I be able to maintain this? Um, so I decided to stay in England and stay training in the rain, stay in that, you know, the gym, and keep that, kind of try to keep that same mentality that I had when I was an amateur, if you like, um, that hunger which people lose when they start making money. So I was making the money, but I wasn't, a, you know, I had a bigger house and a nicer car, but apart from that, nothing really changed. So I was able to get that kind of hardcore uh, hunger, and now it became like, of course, I want to beat everybody, but I want to beat myself, and I want to set the bar as high as I can. Um, let's see what I can do. You know, how far can you take this uh, muscularity, this condition, and, and so on and so on. So I try to push the boundaries rather than being good enough just to earn you know, a lot of guys were in it, to, you know, they wouldn't really push that extra mile because they were making a good living and uh, traveling around the world. And so sometimes they might miss training or sometimes they might not train that hard because of circumstances. Um, but they're happy anyway because, you know, they're, they're living a good lifestyle. So I managed to keep that hunger by keeping myself in that environment. Guys, final break in the episode today. Big shout out to Bulk Nutrients. Please check out their range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. They are an Aussie company and they do great things in terms of value for money. 
and also ease of just getting your protein or any supplement needs. So check out their range, highly recommend their creatine monohydrate. It's nine bucks for 250 grams, or you can get a full kilogram for only $19. So check out the range, also check out their range of proteins, especially the Protein Matrix, which is a blend, but it is so good at $29 for one kilogram. Check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK or all be in the show notes. All right, guys, let's finish this off and get back to the chat with Dorian. Yeah, so because of your accomplishments were predominantly in America, were you famous back home? Um, no. Um, famous in the gym world, yes. Yeah. But in the general public, no. I mean, I, I lived in this, you know, in this nice complex with these big houses where I had university lecturers and stockbrokers and, you know, professional people, doctors and what have you living next door to me. And they don't know who this big fucking huge lump of a guy is. He does something lifting weights or strongman or something. But that's that's all they knew. And people walking down the street wouldn't know. Um, and part, partly that was my doing because I didn't like to deal with the media, especially the mainstream media and my attempts to do so. Um, I felt they were not, it was not beneficial. Um, I had a, a couple of invitations to go on national TV. But it was always like, we want you to come on and we want you to do posing with you, you know? Like, I, I don't want to do that because my reason for coming on your TV show would not be personal. It would be uh, in order to try to educate people about the sport and what's involved and who I am. And I can't really do that if I'm standing there in my underwear. So I would like to come on, you know, with my clothes on and talk and maybe we can show footage and stuff like that, and they they just didn't get that. And I, so I said to the guy, I said, look, uh, at, at this point, there was a very famous soccer player in England called Gaza, you know? He, everyone yeah, knew Gaza. Right? Yeah, Paul yeah, Gaza. So Gaza. So I was like, look, if you invite, invite Gaza on your breakfast show, right, he's going to come on with his clothes on, and you're going to talk. You're going to talk about soccer, and you might show some footage. And But well, he's going to be there sitting down with his clothes on, so he's going to have an opportunity to get his point across. You're not going to insist that he comes on your show with his soccer kit on and does some tricks with the ball and, and kick the ball around and, and ask people, oh, what do you think about that? Because then it's just like a performing monkey, and I don't want to be a performing monkey for your show. Mm. So uh, I, if I'm not able to come on with my clothes on and sit down and talk, then I'm not interested. And they were not interested because they already had a preconceived idea of what they want to present, this kind of a freak factor uh, and so on. So it was partially down to me and partially down to the fact that the, the British media, the newspapers and so on, they just uh, don't see bodybuilding as a legitimate sport. Um, I have actually got more positive uh, from the media now. I've done some interviews lately about drugs and sport and bodybuilding and so on. And they did a great job, and they actually put it on the sports section of the newspaper, which I was I was happy with. So, you know, if I did it all over again now and I had the mentality now and the maturity I've got, I probably could have handled that situation better and got some more publicity for the sport. But in any case, um, uh, the media often controls people's perceptions because the media 
projects something out and people believe that. So the media don't really um, ever put anything too positive about bodybuilding out there. At least in UK and Australia, maybe it's different, and the USA is different, so on. Yeah, Dorian, you know that the mindset that you built, especially during when you were competing, in that six-year block when you won back-to-back-to-back, was yeah. there any of your competitors that you even noticed or thought even came close to you? Um, I mean, there was a lot of good guys at that period. It was the most competitive period in, in bodybuilding, so it was guys that I respected. Um one guy, Flex Wheeler, I thought that he had the physical potential to be definitely a threat and to be dangerous, um, but physical potential is not the whole story because you have to have the mentality, the, the mental focus to tie everything together and, and to you know get the most out of that potential. And I knew that Flex was easily distracted. Um, and a bit emotional and stuff like that and you know he would uh, maybe miss workouts and maybe it would break his diet and stuff that I would never do so it just gave me a lot more confidence and the fact that I knew that I trained harder than everybody else and knew that I put more into it it gave me a real uh, feeling of confidence so if I was off if something happened and I was off there was a few guys there that had the potential to beat me, you know. Um, but if everything was good, um, I felt I didn't feel at any point really threatened, to be honest. Mm. I felt quite confident that I would be able to uh, retain the title, although I had a couple of serious injuries and that, um, you know, that obviously affected me, but I was still able, even with serious injury, I was still able to win because I had such a, you know, I felt like I had such a head start on the guys. Yeah, you know, you talk about being a little bit different from the norm, even the way you trained, you were short and sharp, and I just read somewhere that back squatting just wasn't for you, was it? Was that true? Well, I, I was doing squatting because Tom Platts was one of my idols, as we already discussed, hmm. and Tom Platts had these legs, like, from outer space that nobody had ever seen this before, and uh, Tom was saying, you know, squat, you got to squat, you got to squat, and the gym I went to was hardcore, and the most important place in the gym was the squat rack. And that's where the men and the boys get separated because it's fucking hard, man. And free squat is hard. It's using all the muscles in your body. You've got to balance. Your breathing's affected. It, it's hard, you know. It's like a love-hate thing. And, I, you know, I got the flat sole lifting shoes that Tom Platts had. I had the knee wraps. I had everything. And I was doing these heavy squats. And it was working. My legs were growing. But I got... Um, an injury, I got a tear on my right hip, um, and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just limped home after the workout and waited a few weeks until it felt better, and I tried to go again. And uh, I got another little tear there. So I went to hospital, and they said I got some scar tissue there. And <clears throat> my one leg is slightly shorter than the other. So when I'm squatting, one hip is going slightly lower than the other one, and it's putting strain on it. Um, so I got this feedback, and I'm like, wow. You know, now I'm doing squatting and it's working for me, and now it's giving me an injury, which means I can't really train properly for a few months. So how good is it, you know? Like, so let me try. I was almost forced by that to, to experiment and do other things, and even though everywhere, everything I read said that you've got to do free squats, otherwise your legs ain't going to be good, um, i got to try. So I did uh, leg press. 
I did squats on a Smith machine where I could position my feet and in the body and everything. So it was more on the quads and less. And I did squats on a hack squat and most of always pre-exhausted with leg extensions first. So I started doing those to protect myself from any potential more injury. And, um, you know, my legs got better and better and, uh, without having the injury risk. So that's how I came to, uh, move away from free weight squats. Really, um, I stopped doing free weight squats around, um, after my British championship, just before I turned pro. So, uh, around 89 and for sure, if you look at pictures from 88, 89 to, you know, 93 or 95, my legs increased quite a lot. So I did that without squatting. So, you know, I don't think people should uh, get too much caught up in you must do this and you must do that. If your body's telling you something else, that this is not shooting your structure, maybe it's great for Tom Platts and maybe when he squats, he doesn't get any stress on his hips and maybe his quads do all the work because of his structure because it's shorter and maybe he doesn't have to lean forward and strain his lower back because of his structure and for him it's perfect but it doesn't mean that for everybody it is uh, Arnold built the best pecs ever probably from doing flat bench press I, I learned earlier on if I did flat bench press my front delts were growing a lot but my pecs were not getting that much out of it. So I had to experiment and, you know, I found a decline press work better for me and low incline and various flies and so on. Um, so it's great to get in taking all this knowledge and, and stuff from other people, but your own body is going to tell you if you're willing to listen, what's working for you. Hmm. Dorian, what would one of these leg workouts look like? Would it be the same exercise drop sets or would it be different exercises like a giant set? No, it would be, I, I didn't believe in rushing from one exercise to another. That's great if you want to, you know, uh, work your cardio or something. Yeah. Um, but I believe it divides your focus. So if I had you in the gym and I said, right, we're going to do these leg extensions and we're going to go to absolute total failure on these leg extensions, hmm. then you're going to run right onto the leg press and we're going to do a leg press afterwards to failure, right? So you're going to be doing those leg extensions, but even if it's not, in the front, in your conscious box, is in the back, in your subconscious box. You're thinking to yourself, i got to go do leg press in a minute, right? And that's going to limit your engagement and your uh, intensity on the leg extensions to some degree because you're going to think, I'm going to that exercise afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I like to get one exercise and absolutely get everything out of it, absolutely go to failure, and then, you know, when you finish one exercise, go to another. So I didn't do any supersets or giant sets. So it would probably be like three or four sets on the leg extension, progressive uh, building up. So the last set would be you've warmed up, you know, you've activated everything, you're ready to go. Last set to absolute failure uh, with a spot, a couple of forced reps on there, uh, controlling the negative at all times as well. Very important to try and exhaust the negative portion of the movement. And then go to leg press. And again on there, one or two sets to warm up and one set to failure. And uh, hack squats or Smith squats, um, pretty much the same. One set to warm up and one set to failure. So that sounded like nothing, Dorian. What you're going to do? Three sets of leg extensions, three sets of leg press, and two sets of squats, and that's it. That looks like nothing. Yeah, it looks like nothing. I write on a piece of paper. It looks like nothing. I'm going to tell you, it looks like nothing. 
But come and do it. Come and do it and do it properly. You will not want to do any more. You will say, please, I don't want to do any more. Because <laughs> it's, all about, it's all about the intensity that you put into it. Yeah. And then you have to recover. So the idea is a short, sharp shock, uh, minimal volume, and then recover. Let your body recover. Let it overcompensate and recover from that workout. Get a little bit bigger, a little, little bit stronger, and then you go back and, and you hit it again. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it requires a lot of focus. And a lot of people say to me, oh, well, I can't focus on one set, so I need to do two or three. Well, doing two or three shitty sets is not going to help you any more than doing one shitty set. Hmm. You know, so uh, <clears throat> maybe in the beginning there's a there's a argument for doing a few more sets because it takes some, you know, uh, some practice to develop those pathways where you can really get into the muscle and absolutely push it to failure. So... Um, for a beginner, I might do a little bit more for them to get those pathways going. Um, but after that, it's it's not necessary. So that's what the pod work would look like. And then I would have a little rest and uh, do some hamstrings, probably two exercises on there and two exercises on calves. Um, 45, 50 minutes, I would be out of the gym. Nice. Okay. Dorian, I'm going to take you a little bit away from bodybuilding to wrap these things up, okay? In terms right. of you... You know, over your entire life, in terms of leaders, and it doesn't even have to be someone famous or even a president or anything like that, is there anyone that's come into your life that you've really admired for their leadership qualities? Uh, yeah, leadership or inspiration, I guess you can call it. Um, I got a tattoo on my left calf of Bob Marley. Yeah. Uh, Bob Marley has been like an inspiration to me, an, an idol. And uh, Did you meet him? I never met him, so he didn't come into my life like like that physically. But he came into my life through his music, mm. and I learned more about him and his philosophy and the religion he followed and all this stuff. And I, I think he had a very powerful message uh, for the world, and it was an inspiration for me. Um, Bob Marley, another guy that really inspired me, uh, was Bruce Lee. Before I had any bodybuilding magazines or pictures of bodybuilders or anything. I had a picture of Bruce Lee on my wall when I was like 12 years old with the, you know, and even then I, you know, I admired his physique as well, though it was like hugely muscular like a bodybuilder. It was like, he was ripped, you know, and had the abs and everything. And uh, amazing individual. Both of these guys died in their early 30s, yet they had a huge impact on the world and the people. Uh, same thing with Bruce Lee, very inspiring. And um, he was so driven to be perfect. Uh, you know, I, I heard this story, um, one of his coach, I think it's Dan Inosanto, I might be saying it wrong, but anyway, he told the story about Bruce Lee, he's got this wooden man, you know, the wooden man thing with the arm sticking out that you practice moves on, and he was doing this move for like, I don't know, let's say he's doing it for an hour or something, over and over and over, until Dan said to him, man, that's like, that's perfect, you don't get any more, you know, that's, you got it. And he's like, no, I don't get it yet. So Dan went out and did whatever he's doing, you know, like, you know, came back two or three hours later, and the guy's still there. Doing it, yeah. In the same place, just bam, 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 bam. And the floor is covered with sweat. And then he turned around eventually and said to him, now I got it. Now it's perfect. You know, so that kind of uh, obsession uh, with being the best, being perfect or whatever, um, now I'm much more rounded and balanced, I guess. So I don't live like that, but 
that was a huge inspiration for me, and I kind of took that mentality and put it into bodybuilding. I think. Yeah, for sure. Let's turn it just to success. You know, you've got you've got children now as well. One of your your son actually competes. In terms of what you used to think success was, getting on stage and winning titles, compared mm-hmm. to the balanced lifestyle that you live now, how much has success changed over time for you? I think success is uh, is is being at peace, really. Being at peace at some point in your life, and I'm getting there. I don't know if I'm there. 100% yeah, but being at peace and understanding life and what, what it is and what your role is and that we're here temporarily to, to have an experience, having a human experience, what we're, you know, that's not what we are. We're spiritual beings having a human experience and we're here for a reason. We're here to, to learn and to grow and uh, so I try to help the collective learn and grow. In other words, the, the planet. So... That's where I'm at now, and um, as far as materialism goes and titles and stuff like that, I, that's my attitude towards my Mr. Olympia title now. Very proud of what I did. It was an incredible achievement for a young guy to do with no with no help and everything. I'm very proud of that um, achievement, and uh, I'm aware that that has given me a platform where people will listen to me. And I'm just trying to put out a positive message and help people on their uh, evolution and, and their journey. And um, I see that growing over the years. And for me, uh, that's success. You know, if I had made millions of dollars or, you know, I had hundreds of apartments or whatever and cars and this and that, and that's all I achieved in life, and then I, and then I left this life, and all that stuff is going to—it's just irrelevant, you know. It's not even the whole world's somewhat of an illusion. The whole material world's an illusion. So, how how is your success? How is it success when they're just getting more and more material things? And and that's what's projected at us all the time. That's what success is, mm. you know, and that we should strive for that and. Uh, I think that's uh, that's a trap, you know. It's, it's great. You know, you need money in this world, in this physical, material world. You need money to be comfortable. Um, but beyond that, being comfortable and being able to do what you want to do and travel and, you know, and, and uh, your loved ones, your family being comfortable, I mean, apart from that, it's just numbers. It's not, you know, it's nothing. Yeah. So, so that's my view on success. If you If you can... Uh, live a positive life and influence people around you and the world around you in a positive way I think that would be more my definition of success Hmm. Dorian just from what you're saying I just was curious do you believe in an afterlife? I believe uh, yeah in in most people's terms I I think the answer would be yes but I don't believe there's an afterlife or a before life or a now life I think all things are happening at the same time. And with psychedelics, I had a sense of that, a sense of an aspect of myself that is somewhere else and it's higher than me and it's wiser than me. And uh, I don't think that we are separate from God, if you like to call it that, or the creative power or the force or the, you know, whatever you want to call that, something um, that's where I don't agree with religions because they put you outside of that. God is something else and you're outside of that and you must do this and you must do that and you must do that in order to get, you know, acceptance from this 
God. Um, I think we're all God. We're all God, having an experience. You're having an experience of being you and having this experience. We're all the same thing. Um, if you took a, a little drop out of the ocean and you put it in a Petri dish, that drop will just think, I'm just a drop, you know? Well, it's not just a drop. It's part of the ocean. Well, it doesn't know. It's not aware of that because you're taken out of the ocean and it's not aware of the ocean anymore, but it is, in fact, part of the ocean. And uh, it will go back to being part of the ocean. And I don't believe that energy can be dispersed. So, you know, I got my laptop here plugged into the power. If I turn the power off, the laptop's not doesn't seem to be functioning anymore. But the power's still there. The power hasn't gone anywhere. The power is, the power is there, right? So um, that's that's what I think. I think we're energy and we will always be energy. We always was, we always will be, and we're already somewhere else already, you know? We're just not aware of it while we're here in this body. So when the body expires and you're no longer tied to this body, then you will be more aware of uh, the other aspects of yourself. And uh, that's what I believe that I kind of was aware of during some of my deeper uh, DMT journeys and so on. It was like me that was talking to me, but it was God as well. But it was me. It was, it was like the same. Was like the same thing. Yeah. Well, Dora, I really, really appreciate you sharing your experiences with us today. It was very open and honest. Before I let you leave, I want everyone following Dorian. You can catch him online. His nutrition is dynutrition.com. Facebook, he's Dorian Yates, D-Y. The Instagram channel is Dor the Dorian Yates. And Twitter is Dorian underscore Yates. Anything yeah, else and you'd I, like to add? I got some good news from my Aussie mates down there, right? Yeah. Um, D-Y Nutrition hasn't been consistently available down there for a long time. We're working that out now. Uh, we're going to be producing in Australia soon, and uh, so all my DY nutrition will be available in Oz soon. And we don't have a date yet, but I will be making another trip down there. I haven't been down there for years, so um, hey, maybe we we'll do another little thing. Let's do it. When I'm down, when I'm in Sydney. We sit in the harbour and do a little uh, chat. So uh, all the people that are listening down there in Australia, you, you've heard me talk now. Maybe there's more things you're interested in. If you want to write into Tristan or get you know get in touch with Tristan, and you know, what the fuck do you want Dorian to talk about next time, man? And Dorian, uh, Q &A. we'll do that. We'll do that next time. I hope we open up some interesting um, talk here and uh, spark some thoughts in people's minds and questions they have that are related to whatever we're talking about today. You know, maybe we can get all that and save it up. And when I'm down there in Sydney, we're we hit this again, man. Yeah. So, sure. you know, whatever you want to know, guys. I don't, I don't care, man. Just Let's ask me. I like, to, I like to answer any questions you've got, uh, anything you think I can help you with. Let's do it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Dorian, thanks again for your time. It's been an honor, and I can't wait to meet oh, you in person, my man. Thanks for having me on, man. Fantastic. Let's chat later. Hey guys, Dorian Yates, over and out. And guys, that was the episode with Dorian. As Dorian did mention, if you want to see him in Australia, you better get in touch. So send me an email, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Should we bring Dorian Yates out to Australia? The more people that tell me, the more chances of it happening. So please get in touch. A big shout out to today's sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. 
as I said, value for money, protein matrix, which is a blend. It's just unbelievable. It's $29 for one kilogram. So definitely give it a try. Also get involved with their green fusion, which is a green superfood powder. That's only 250 grams and it would only set you back 25 bucks. So definitely check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. Guys, we really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please share it with your family and friends. You can connect with me online, Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, Tristan Nell. Like I said, please get in touch and hopefully we can bring Dorian Yates out to the Australian shores. That'll be amazing. So check out also Dorian's book, www.fromtheshadow.com. Like I said, 999 copies only on a guess at a price of only 99 pounds which I'm just off the top of my head thinking is about 150 bucks Australian. So to get a personally signed a number, numbered autobiography, that's it's pretty amazing value. So definitely check that out. Like I said, www.fromtheshadow.com. And there's only 999 copies. So it is a limited edition. All right, guys. Next week on the show, we'll be going to America's number one lacrosse player, his name's Paul Rabel. He hosts an amazing podcast as well. So I was really excited to record with Paul. In the coming weeks, we'll also be having plenty of NRL and rugby boys. So check it out. We've got Luke Rickardson, who used to play at the Roosters. Kurt Gidley, former Newcastle Knights captain, also New South Wales Blues captain. So plenty on the agenda. If there's anyone you want to see, always up for guest requests. So send them through. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. All right, guys, really hope you enjoyed that episode with Doreen Yates. I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.